Hey, this is Curtis Warren, the middle school pastor of Alderwood Community Church. Right now we're in a series called The Life of David, A Man After God's Own Heart. Our hope and prayer for you is that as you listen to these messages, you're able to examine your own heart as you strive to be an everyday follower of Jesus. This week, I'm going to give you the big idea right up front, is God gives you the king your heart desires. God will give you the king your heart desires. The person to rule your life, he'll allow you to have whatever person it is that you want ruling your heart. He will allow you to have that person. And, I mean, have you guys ever wanted something so bad? I mean, we're looking at this, this movie, A Christmas Story. Have you guys ever wanted something so bad? You kept telling your parents about it. You kept asking for it. Like, every time you went to the mall, you're like, that's it, Mom. Remember, I want that Christmas list right there. That's the thing right? Maybe it's something that you wanted to do. And your parents kept telling you, no, right? There's, there's this thing that you want to do. Maybe it's something fun, but it's dangerous. Maybe it's something that looks awesome, but it, it's kind of crazy. Maybe little eyes to participate in or to own, right? You're like, mom, like when you're little and you're like, what do you want your, your, like your ideal pet? And somebody's like, I don't know, like an anaconda? And you're like five and it could swallow you. Like, that's like, a, your parents are bad parents if they get you an anaconda and you are like, you're a five-year-old, right? That's a bad pet to have. You're like, oh no, I'm 10 and I want a Bengal tiger. Like, I really want one. It's cool. We'll get him. He'll be like a house cat, right? No, like that's a bad idea, right? Like if you kept asking for that, that's not something that you should have. You know, maybe for you, like some of you guys that are in seventh or eighth grade, maybe hopefully not sixth grade, but like if you're in, in seventh or eighth grade, you're like, mom, dad, like you don't understand. Like you, I really, really like this girl or I like really like this guy. I like really, I want, I want a date. You need to like date. Like honestly, it's a bad idea, right? You don't need to be doing that right now. And if you are like talk to your group leader, let them like knock some sense into you. All right, like there is no point, right? But here's the deal. You want to do something, people keep telling you that's maybe not the best idea for you. That's not such a, such a hot thing to be participating in or, or, or something that you should have right now, right? There, there are certain things that we shouldn't do because they're not wise for us. And this Red Ryder BB gun from the movie A Christmas Story, Ralphie really, really wanted this gun. He really wanted this gun. And his parents... Right? His dad eventually gives him what he wants. He allows him to have the Red Rider carbine action BB gun, right? He lets him have it. And what happens? Right? He goes out in the backyard and, like a doofus, sets up a metal target and he almost shoots his eye out. Right? At the end, just so you know, like if you have in the movie and you're really worried about Ralphie right now, he didn't actually shoot his eye out. I didn't show you somebody's eye hanging out, right? Okay? No, he doesn't actually shoot his eye out. But the point is, like, he, people who were telling him, you shouldn't do this, they actually maybe knew a little bit about what they're talking about. But Ralphie's in love with the idea of what the BB gun will bring into his life. You ever heard like somebody romanticizes something? It means they, they build it up, right, to be bigger than what it actually is. And Ralphie had romanticized the BB gun. In fact, in several parts of the movie that we didn't show, he is actually daydreaming about one-eyed Bart, this villain who, 
who he's going to defeat with his BB gun that shoots at 350 feet per second. But he's going to defeat One-Eyed Bart, right? He's going to defeat One-Eyed Bart, and, and he's romanticized this whole thing. At the, and at the end of each time that he beats him in his head, his mom and his dad or his teacher or whoever, they're, they're showering him with praise and love and adoration. And Oh, my word, Ralphie, you saved us. And he's romanticized what this thing's going to bring to him. But in the end, he's alone in his backyard in his PJ shooting at a metal target. Right? It's not what he'd hoped for. It didn't bring action, adventure, and heroism. It didn't bring those things. As we start to look at the story in the life of David, we actually have to start before David with a man named Samuel. But before we get into God's word, I'm going to ask that we just go ahead and, and go to God in prayer. We dive in. God, thank you so much for this night. Thank you for the awesome privilege that you get me, give me and these small group leaders to come and, uh, and hang out with middle schoolers who I just happen to think are some of the coolest people on the face of the planet. God, uh, thank you for the job that you've given me where I get to do what I love. God, I pray that uh, as we look at your word tonight, you would, uh, you would just show up. You would help us to have understanding to, to, to pull something from your word that we can apply to our lives so that we can follow you more closely. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. For those of you who don't know, only Daniel remembered. Sorry, we'll pause for a second. For those who don't know, we say amen down here. Everybody usually goes, amen, amen, right? That's like, eh, all right, fine. But we do it like a little bit differently. Because when you say amen, what you are saying is I agree with what you said. So we do a singular clap as a group to say amen. So we go, amen. Perfect. I love that was good. Like last year when we did the first time, it was like, that was good. You guys are awesome. All right. So let's dive in. First Samuel chapter eight. Now this is a big, big chunk of scripture. I need you guys to go along with me. But if you were here last year, seventh and eighth graders, we were looking uh, at an epistle, right? We were looking at Romans and then dove into uh, looking at some of the things that Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mountain. So we were looking at smaller chunks, right? Teachable chunks of something. But when you're looking at a narrative, you have to look at it like, like what a chapter book or a small story, a novel, right? And, and it's a longer story, and we're looking at sections of it. So we're looking at long sections as we're going through this. But what we're going to do is we're going to kind of pull out key points, right? Like if you're, you were doing this in class, right, your teacher would say, what is the plot? What are the themes, right? The themes in every sentence of the book, it's parts of it, right? You pull out the key points, and it gives you kind of the theme and the, over, the overtone of the whole story. And so as we dive in, we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 8. starts this way. When Samuel grew old. Now Samuel, I'm going to stop right there because we don't know who Samuel is. Samuel is a prophet. He's somebody who speaks for, on God's behalf to God's people. Samuel has been raised as, uh, to, to be a prophet his whole life, okay, ever since he was a small baby. So when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. Now Israel is the country or the nation of people that he is the prophet for, the speaker of God for. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second son was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba, but his sons did not follow his words. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes, bribes and, and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. In other words, you're about to retire, bro. And the people you put in charge, not looking so hot. Now appoint, 
excuse me, now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now, there's a problem with this that we're going to see. One is that God is Israel's king. They have a king. But they want a king like what the nations have, surrounding nations, the pagan nations, the nations who aren't following God. They want to be like them. Do you guys see a problem with that already? I see a problem. It's about to arise, right? It says, give, a, give us a king to lead us, such as the other nations have. But when they, but when they said, give us, us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and he told him, Listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. So Samuel's getting kind of upset, right? But God says, look, Samuel, it's not you they're turning their back on. Actually, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day. So this has been going on for a long time. It's just kind of reaching ahead, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and tell them uh, and let them know what the king will, who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So, much like Ralphie, who has romanticized this idea of having the BB gun, they've romanticized this idea of having a king. And God says, be the voice of wisdom. Tell them what having a king will actually look like. Samuel's about to tell them, you shoot your eye out. Okay? Now listen to them, but warn them, right? Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons, make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, and to others plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be his perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the rest of your fields, or the best of your fields, and vineyards and olive groves, and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage, and give it to his officials and attendants, your male and female servants, and the best of your cattle and donkeys. He will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you, will, and you yourselves will become his slaves. Whoa. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. You chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Okay. So I don't know about you guys. I'm thinking I'm a fairly level-headed dude. Like, if he's saying, okay, he's going to take your sons. They're going to go for his battles, which means some of them are going to die. He's going to take your daughters, and they're going to go to work for him in his, in his palace, where he's at. So you're not going to see them very much either. By the way, everything you make, he's going to take from you. He's going to ta- take a bunch of it from you. We call that taxes, okay? He's going to take that stuff from you. He's going to claim some of what you have and just take it because a king is different than like our government, right? Represented by the people. A king is different. A king just do what he wants. Ain't nobody going to tell him what to do. So he's going to come and he's going to take some of what he wants away from you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Here was their answer though. This is crazy to me. But the people... Refuse to listen to Samuel. Now, I read this right here, and I hear, no! 
Like, if you ever, like, had somebody who's, like, talking at you, and all of a sudden, you just, you're like, no, I don't want to listen to you anymore, right? I, I feel like they're just stubborn children, right there. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. I'll give you a little, just a little side here. In the book of Deuteronomy, God actually says that very thing, that he will be their Lord, their king, and he will go ahead of them in battle and defeat their enemies. They already have this very thing that they're looking for. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go to your own town. Now, here's the first thing I think we need to understand. God is the rightful king. God was already king. They already had somebody ruling them. But Israel is going to reject God as their king. They do that all the way back in verse 7. God actually desires to be Israel's king, and he had promised to be their king and their God. He'd already been doing that, but over time, they had been ignoring him, rejecting him, until finally they said, you know what? We want a real king. We want a physical king. We want a king that we can see. We want a king that we can touch. We want a king, we want a man. I want you guys to notice something that Israel, like Ralphie, is being driven by what they think their desire will bring them. They have built up in their heads that what a king is bring them is a sense of national identity. It's a person that they can rally around. Interesting enough, isn't that kind of like what they're supposed to be doing with God? It's a person that they can follow. And they want this despite Samuel's warning. Simple. In the same way that maybe you guys ignore warnings in your lives, I've ignored warnings in my life, the way that Ralphie ignores all the warnings in his. The next thing I want you guys to see is that you need to trust God over your desires. Now I'm going to tell you everything that Samuel says will happen when they have a king. It doesn't take very long for it to actually happen. And then for decades and decades and generations and generations afterward, they have kings who do the same thing. I have that God is a gentleman. And God wants to be their God and wants to be their king. Is the same that he, that he wants to be the king and ruler of your life through Jesus. He desires that. But when we say, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to follow this thing over here. And we're going to talk about that more next week. I think that God will politely bow out and say, okay, I'm going to hate it. It's not going to be good. It's going to end terribly for you. But I love you. I'll let you have it. And that's what happens here. Israel trusted a man for their security. The interesting thing is the man they trust who we'll meet next week is such a coward that when there's battles taking place, he's hiding among them. Now, ladies, I'm not saying you can't be courageous. I'm just saying that back then, they didn't fight. 
He was not where the fight was. He's what you might call a wuss. And they trust a man for their security. They had God, and they want a man. They gave God up for something they could see, feel, hear. They gave him up for someone as imperfect as themselves. The next thing, you guys, I want you to know is you need to be careful what you ask for. I think we really do need to, to heed this. We've heard, how many of you guys have heard this before? Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you wish for, right? Okay. I've heard this like a million times, but when I read a story like this, I'm like, and then I know what happens next because I've read the rest of this story. I'm going, what is wrong with you people? Have you ever been watching a movie and like, you're like, go in there. The bad stuff's in that room, right? Because you know, you're, you're watching the story unfold. Right? That's how I feel with Israel. Don't do it, right? It's bad. God gives Israel what they ask for. I mean, have you ever been there? Have you ever gotten what you wanted only be like, you know, kind of let down? You got exactly what you asked for, but it wasn't as great as you thought it would be. Maybe you finally got to hang out with those people that you're trying so hard to impress. Your whole life has just been about impressing them. And, and finally, you get into the group, and then you realize, like, I don't even like these people. And we giggle a little bit, but, like, me, the reason you don't like them is because they're just not nice people. But you built it up in your mind. This is going to be great. But you forgot that thing that you've been asking for and asking for and asking for and asking for, and, and then you get it, and then, like, the next day, the new one comes out. And you're like, Ah, but you built it up in your mind, like what it was going to do for you. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. This very thing that we're talking about, this is about to happen to Israel. They're about to get a man who they have built up in their mind, and he ends up being an utter failure. They will go through generations of kings that sound just the way Samuel described. Most of Israel's kings, as we read through the Bible, were terrible people. Absolutely awful. In other words, Israel's about to shoot its eye out. So what do we do? Where do we go here? Because right, we read a story about something that happened a long time ago, and we have to be able to say, what can I do with the story, Right? I mean, you guys know when you read, like, a fable or something like that, you're supposed to, like, get a lesson out of it, right? Like, what do you do with a story that happened thousands of years ago to a people that we are disconnected from and we don't understand? Like, well, I think we have to look at what is the big picture here? What does God want us to grab from this? See, I want us to realize that God has no interest in being your second best, in being second in your life. In fact, Jesus is the king who reigns forever. Israel's going to go through a whole bunch of kings, and they're going to get promised that there will be a king one day who will reign forever. And Jesus fulfills that. And we're going to get to his ancestor in a couple weeks. The guy we're really looking forward to meeting, King That Jesus is an ancestor, or is a, is a descendant, excuse me, of King David. 
But God has no desire to be second in your life. Like, how many people, like, really want to be someone's second best friend? God has no desire for that in your life. So what is your deepest desire? I want you guys to be asking, where's my heart at? As we look at King David, a man after God's heart, the next, you know, months, I want you guys to ask over and over, like, what is my deepest desire? Where is my heart? Is, is my deepest desire God? And do you listen to the wisdom of others and of God? Because here's the thing that happens when we romanticize things in our own life, when we trust ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart. My heart. Deceitful. It will trick you. They deceived themselves, these people, the Israelites. So who's the king of your life? Let me put that next slide. Who's the king of your life? Who calls the shot? Who's boss? Because Jesus has no interest in any less than the Lord. Right? Jesus comes to be our savior, but he also wants to be our Lord. He wants to be the king. He wants to be the boss. He wants to call the shots. And guess what? He died for you. He straight earned it. Guys, who are we following? What is our deepest desire? Listen to the wisdom of God. Samuel was the voice, the wisdom of God, sometimes in our lives. Here's the deal, guys. I will tell you a really, really quick story because I have to go time. Here's, here's the thing. You guys, I had times in my life, a specific time in my life that I can remember, I was dating a girl in high school and everybody I knew, like everybody, my friends, my youth pastor, small group leader, my parents, this girl's mom. We're like, Curtis, you shouldn't be dating her. When someone's, guys, heads up, if you're dating a girl and her mom who likes you says you're the best thing that's ever happened to a girl, but she's going to break your heart, just run. Right? Learn from the mistakes of others. That's wisdom, right? But do you listen to the wisdom of others? Because Israel did not do that. As soon as Samuel told them all the terrible things that would happen, their response was, no. Really? All right. Anyway, moving on. Jesus also needs to be the boss. Do you treat God the way that Israel did in life? I mean, he can be king when it seems convenient, when it's advantageous, when you're wandering through the desert for 40 years and he feeds you every day. Is he just a get-out-of-hell-free card? Talking to you kids that are students in here that have said, you know what, like, yeah, it's Jesus, he's my Lord and Savior. But you, like, don't really follow him at all? Or is he the king, period? Now, where do I start? Do the basics. As we here on Sunday, we hit this very lightly. But the basics, you guys, this is not the end goal. So don't, don't hear me. If you're doing better than this, don't like go backward and be like, well, now I'm leaving basics. That's the first thing I need to do. No, 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 no. Okay, this is like a beginning point, okay? If you're not spending time with God, if you're not growing a relationship with God, if Jesus is not the king in your life, if, he's not, if his wisdom is not impacting you, start here. 
And here's what the basics looks like. It's a three-step thing I want for you guys. And there are cards in the back that you can grab on your way out, put that in a Bible, put it on your mirror in your bathroom, put it on your nightstand, wherever you got to put it to remind you, I need to be doing the basics. Your small leaders are asking you periodically, how are you doing on the basics? Like, how are you doing at the basis level of following Jesus? Okay, this is the like beginning point, not where we want you to stay. But if you haven't started anything, this is where we want you to go. Start with one focus. That one focus is Jesus. We want you to have two practices. It means 10 minutes we want you to read your Bible and 10 minutes of prayer. And here's how I do that. Break that prayer up. Go with me. Because we prayed for 10 minutes, 10 minutes is like an eternity. Okay? So I want you to pray for five minutes, asking that God would reveal himself to you in what you're about to read from his word. Spend 10 minutes in his word and then pray back to God about what you just read. Is there something amazing you learned about him? Is there something insightful you learned about yourself, condition, who you are? Talk back. I want you to do this three times a week. That's it, three. I'm not even asking you to do it every day. Three times a week, guys. Start here. God wants to be the king of your life. Jesus wants to be the king of your heart. But he will allow you to have the king you want. And honestly, that's a little scary to me. Sometimes the king I want will ruin me. I'm not trying to put a downer on the night. But I want you guys, this whole series, to kind of think about what, your li- what is going on in your life. Band can come on back up and I'm going to close this in a word of prayer and then we'll stand and worship together. God, thank you so much for who you are, for the fact that you desire relationship with me, that you sent Jesus to die so that I could have relationship with you. For sending the perfect king to die for me. As we look at Israel and what they want and what they got, I pray that it would kind of sober us up a little bit. Give us a a strong reminder that, God, you will give us the king we want. I think that should worry us a little bit if the king we want isn't you. God, help us to not be foolish. Help us to listen to wisdom and not be the kid in the backyard shooting his eye out. It's in your name. Amen.